everyone. You are listening to Nat Alliance Now, a brand new podcast series brought to you by the National Alliance for Insurance Education and Research. I am your host, Mitch Dunford. Today, we are talking to Steve Anderson, president of the Anderson Network, about how InsureTech and technology are influencing the industry. Thanks for being with us today and a special welcome to Steve Anderson. Mitch, thanks. Appreciate you having me on. Uh, Steve and I go back many, many years. I first met Steve when I was with Insurance Journal. Steve has spent uh, his 35 plus year career helping the insurance industry understand, integrate and leverage current and emerging technologies. From business management systems to social platforms, Steve can analyze what's happening now and explain the implications of that technology into the future. For the last 20 years, he has crossed the nation speaking at places like Safeco, AAA, Nationwide, as well as many state insurance associations. In fact, Steve is a member of the National Alliance faculty and in fact, just presented last week at the Orlando Mega. Steve has a master's degree in insurance law and was invited to be an original thought leader influencer on LinkedIn representing the insurance industry and has, and this will blow your mind, over 340,000 followers. Steve is a prolific blogger on his website, steveanderson.com. Some of his most recent blog titles are, and I just pulled these off his page today, uh, How to Stop Spam Robocalls, which I need to listen to, uh, Start <laughs> Using Mobile Excel, Insert Data from Pictures, How to Use Weather Check to Discover Possible Hail Damage, Why Your Office Needs a Password Management Solution, The Next Generation of Live Scribe Smart Pens, How to Help Prospects and Clients Access Their CLUE Report, and How to Maximize Agency Downloads Using Ivan's Exchange. So without any further ado, welcome, Steve. We're so happy that you're here. Mitch, thanks. Uh, like I said, it's a real pleasure to to, uh, to be on this podcast with you. So let's just jump right in. Who is Steve Anderson? Well, as you uh, so aptly kind of gave a bit of my background, um, I've been in the insurance industry forever. Um, <laughs> real quick, I first job actually was with an insurance company getting trained as an underwriter. Uh, in the Washington, D.C. area where I grew up. Uh, fairly quickly went and worked uh, in an independent insurance agency in Washington, D.C., owned by my father-in-law. Um, and, you know, that's where I first got into the agency world uh, and actually first got my hands-on technology. Uh, I was responsible for bringing in our first in-house agency management system uh, to that organization in the early 80s. Um, and way different than they are today. Uh, fast forward, I, I spent 13 years there, ended up leaving, uh, moving to Texas, doing some consulting, uh, met two gentlemen who owned an insurance agency there and uh, agreed to sell commercial insurance in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and uh, also kept my hands on technology. Um, again, we can get into some of that if it's, if it's of interest, but actually part of what happened at that point then is um, I met uh, Bill Toll, uh, okay. retired now, but early on in the National Alliance, uh, as the agency was doing some work with the National Alliance in developing the Agency Management Institute curriculum. 
he and I started talking. We started talking about what we were doing at the agency. And uh, end result is I got invited to uh, teach at a uh, Rubel seminar. And so, and I, I was trying to think, it's probably 96 or so um, okay. that I did that. Um, and then frankly, uh, decided I really liked the teaching, consulting, writing, research piece. So I started my own firm in 99, ended up moving to the Nashville area where I've been since. Um, and as I always say today, I have the great job of researching, writing, playing with um, technology, tools, toys, gadgets, and gizmos, and uh, helping the industry understand what they can do. Where does your passion for technology come from? Why are you such a geek? <laughs> <laughs> um, I would actually point back to my dad. Um, my dad worked for a company called Burroughs Corporation uh, from probably, I'm trying to think, probably 1952. Uh, he worked there for 36 plus years. It was the only job he ever had. Burroughs and IBM were kind of the two major computing companies. And he sold um, uh, large-scale uh, computers. Uh, so you hear a lot about IBM, but Burroughs uh, was in the banking and financial industry a lot. And uh, as a kid, I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area where he was branch manager. And on Saturday mornings, he would go down to the office to get some work done, and I'd ride along with him. And uh, literally, the first floor of his office was full of huge computers. And uh, I actually, um, this is sort of funny, I may have to explain this to some people listening, but I actually took my box of punch cards down to those computers and ran my program using punch cards through wow. to debug because I was in actually in college, uh, freshman year of college taking a computer programming class. Um, and he always encouraged that, he was always forward thinking. Uh, and and. I've always enjoyed space and just the technology and as things were developing. Uh, so I, I think that's probably where, it, that's where I would say it, it came from. And I really have had the opportunity and the privilege over the years to continue to develop that, grow that. Um, and I think the core for me is I'm just curious. I like to know how things work. And so that's always a, underlying motivation for me. That's why I've lo always loved the insurance industry because I could go into businesses and I would learn how they worked. And I'm always fascinated by manufacturing and electronics and retail and right, all the different kinds of businesses and how they do things. Fascinating. So in your opinion, when an agency owner hears the word insure tech, how does it make them feel? Well, I think it depends on the agency owner. I would say, in my experience, at least over the, probably the last few years, uh, more fear or uh, hesitancy than anything else. Uh, and frankly, I think there's some uh, reasons, and I think some of that's warranted, because when you look at what has now been called InsureTech, mm -hmm. um, I mean, one of the things I kind of talk about is that I've been talking about insurance technology since the late 90s. You know, now we have a buzzword around it. But so many of the startups, the firms that are looking at this industry, seeing what they think is potential, are looking to go direct to consumer and bypassing at least what they consider the antiquated uh, relationship that agents and brokers have with their clients. 
Um, and so certainly there is some hesitancy that's warranted about those. What I try and explain is that not all insure techs are the enemy of the distribution channel of insurance agents and brokers. In fact, there's a growing number that actually are helping improve the interaction with clients by keeping the agent in the equation. That's not all of them, but it is a growing number of them. And I'm even seeing some of those early startups starting to recognize that, you know what, the agent and broker has a relationship that may be unique in that middleman area that so many technology companies feel like they can remove. So hesitancy, somewhat warranted. And on, this, on the other hand, there are a whole bunch of them that are actually providing some really good tools to help agents and brokers connect better with their clients. Didn't we see this back in the 90s and 2000s with the big dot-com boom that there was all this speculation that it was the demise of the independent agent? Never happened. Yeah, and you know, I've been hearing that, as you say, literally from the, the late 90s on. In fact, um, 2001, 2002, um, I did a road show with another colleague, Rick Morgan, uh, for what was then the CNA personal insurance, talking to agents about websites and having an online presence and, and all of those kinds of tools today that I, th I hope most agents realize they need. But even back then, I was real hesitant to think they're going to be replaced. But in the same breath, they couldn't ignore it because consumers have changed and you look back over that 20 plus years now, consumers have changed, what they want have changed, how they wanna communicate has changed. There still is a value in the relationship that an agent broker has with them, but if they ignore the changes, then eventually, and I think that may be the, the right word, um, that those consumers will go to an agent that is providing them with the type of experience that they want. And certainly some of that's technology, but you know, I've said for a long time, um, technology is a tool to be used, uh, not a, a replacement or not the end all to be all. Uh, it's a tool to be used and when used effectively, it can it really help uh, an insurance organization, be it agent broker in the distribution side, be it an insurance company, you know, in the product side, claims. I mean, all of the aspects of what makes up the insurance organization ecosystem can benefit from more effective use of technology. So from your perspective, what are some of the uh, changes? How have how has a agency's customers' expectations evolved over the last 20 years? What's the expectation now? And does how does the technology tool help deliver that? I think a lot of the consumer expectations uh, are being and have been set outside our industry. Mm -hmm. And certainly you can look at Google and uh, Facebook and Apple and Amazon, you know, as examples of consumers getting what they want. I mean, Apple with uh, the iTunes store and being able to download music one track at a time when prior to the iPod and the Apple store, you had to buy a CD and an album. So now choice, easy to get the music 
and allow me to buy just what I want, not force me to buy a whole CD. We've gotten used to that over the last number of years, but fast forward to Amazon. You know, why has Amazon grown as much as it has? And this is something I explore a lot in my book, but it's because they take friction out of the transaction or the process of how you buy things from Amazon. And we could go on forever on examples of that, but I think we all know one click and it shows up two days later and sometime later this year, it'll show up one day later. You know, so, so speed is part of that. Consumers getting what they want and getting the information they want when they want it is part of that. And the insurance industry has been very um, somewhat reluctant and didn't, uh, it doesn't have the uh, technology infrastructure to make some of that happen faster. Even simple things like getting my policy. Well, you know, I want it electronic. I don't want it paper. I want to go get it when I want it and need it, be it a actual policy, be it an auto ID card, be it a claim that I have. Why can't I submit that claim right from my phone where I'm there? It knows my location. I can take the pictures I need. I can get that process started quickly. So those are implications of that faster mindset. Uh, and and then we ju then we throw on top of all of that, Mitch, communication. Right. So, instant messaging, text messaging, you know, email, yes, to some degree, but even uh, you know, face to face with Zoom or or uh, go to meeting, all of these kinds of things save time and are becoming a different expectation. So, what would you describe? or define as the friction points. And I love that word and that imagery that you use there. What are the friction points inside a traditional agency? From the consumer perspective or from the staff perspective? Because I, yeah. I, I could do both. Do probably. both, do both. Well, let me, let's talk about, so consumer, uh, and this is actually where several, uh, again, new companies, startup companies are really trying to take the pain of filling out an application. So think of that as a consumer, be it personal lines, auto homeowners, be it a commercial uh, for work comp and liability and property and auto, or think about it in a cyber liability application. How do I have to fill out that application? Well, in most cases still by paper, mm -hmm. maybe not even a fillable PDF, although that's starting to get a bit more common, but if I put even a fillable PDF, if I put a piece of information in one field, it doesn't automatically populate another field later in the form that may need the same or very similar information. Or if I'm getting quotes from two or three or four carriers, why can't I populate all of their forms from one data entry form? So there are several uh, companies that are tackling that using an online process of capturing that information for the agency, it, it streamlines it. It takes friction out of the customer getting the application done because they can do it simply. And it helps with the agency E&O because now you can document that the client actually filled out the application, the producer didn't. So if there's a question about the information on the application, 
in uh, E&O, you didn't tell me, no, I didn't fill that out. There's less of a question about who actually filled it out and whose information, who provided the right information. So that's an example from the consumer side. How about internally with staff? What, what are the friction points? Well, I think in, internally with staff, friction points uh, revolve around communication. Certainly agency management systems are obviously a large part of that. Um, and I do think the, the management system vendors are working to improve the process of transactions that take place or that need to take place. So let's take that application that the consumer fills out. How am I going to get all that data into my management system into the right either accord form, which most every management system allows me to capture that data, but am I going to have to rekey it? Can I, can I use automated ways to get that data from a third party um, provider into my management system? So I don't want to get too technical here, but there are industries, not insurance industry, there are technology industry standards uh, ways of doing and streamlining that. So now I'm cutting down the data entry. Again, a consequence or at least a benefit of that is when I cut down the need for physically entering data, I cut down the opportunity for errors mm -hmm. when I enter that data, which means I cut down, again, my E&O exposure uh, by not translating or inputting data accurately. And then, I mean, I can go through the whole ecosystem and then that application gets sent to the carrier. Now, again, is the carrier capable of taking that app or do I, and I'm, agents are telling me this still, they have to fax the app to the carrier. Okay, so now on the carrier side, we have another data point of error, potential of them entering, and then that comes back on us when the policy comes in after it's been issued without the correct information. So then the agency has to endorse. We could go on and, I mean, all of those points create friction in the movement of information around the, the parties that have to have that information in order to get the insurance contract placed properly. Interesting. So why are some some agencies hesitant to look at new technologies and ways of um, streamlining that friction? Well, I think there are a couple things. One is uh, literally the vast majority of agencies are very successful. They've done a great job. They've done a great job of taking care of their customer. Um, part of, again, what's changing with the consumer is their expectations of even faster. So I think that's, you know, why do I need to? I think the other aspect is uh, if we look at the average age of agency owners or agency shareholders, you know, it's in the upper 50s. And so I'm at the end of my career. Why should I spend money, time, effort, change management for my staff in order to bring in these new things that is going to cause disruption as they come in? So there's just a resistance to change. Um, what I am seeing, however, Mitch, is the agencies that are being started or that are being taken over by younger agency owners, men and women, there is less of reluctance. In fact, there is a push to 
add as much technology into their organizations as they possibly can. Again, one, to take friction out, and two, when you do that, you increase productivity, which obviously increases profitability. But I think change management is probably the biggest. And what we don't talk much about is the average age of agency employees. I believe it reflects, may not be exact, but I believe it reflects the age of agency owners. And so again, I've been, when I'm an agency staff, I've been doing something for a long time. It's just hard to change. Sure. I mean, that's, right. I mean, that's, that's the reality. It's, and so it's gotta, there's gotta be a really good reason. I have to be able to see it really is going to improve my working environment. It's going to improve my ability to take care of the clients that I take care of. And I'm not sure that gets communicated well. Uh, in this whole process. So how how is technology transforming the industry, both the industry now, both internally and externally? Yeah, and this is a bit what I talked about at the mega that you mentioned, um, because technology is impacting what I call external and internal, which touched on a little bit on internal. We'll mm -hmm. talk a little bit more about that. But let me talk about external. And so this really came out of a industry discussion uh, that is taking place uh, through the Agents Council for Technology. And I am co-chair of the Changing Nature of Risk work group. So here's how that formed. And as part of ACT, ACT's been around since the late 90s. But the work group was formed a few years ago, probably three now, because some of us were seeing all of the technology that clients were using that created insurance coverage gaps. And we became concerned that agency owners and their staff weren't keeping up on the technology so they could understand and accurately and adequately advise their clients on their insurance program. Can you give an example? So for, yeah, I was going to say, for okay. example, the easy one is uh, Uber. So you have a personal lines client driving for the platform Uber uh, or Lyft, and there are several. But we'll just talk about Uber. It's easy. Everybody knows. Well, I, I think as most in the insurance industry know, that provided some coverage questions, uh, typically around livery, if I'm getting paid to take people for a ride, then my personal auto policy won't cover me in the event of an accident. And part of the insurance issue, and, and this is where I get insurance geek out, not just tech geeked out, but the contract, and again, here's where uh, the disclaimer uh, that I need to put out, you know, so an ISO personal auto policy, let's say three years ago, and that may change now, so that's always the caveat, but actually didn't define the term livery. So everybody was using, it's not covered because of livery, but nobody actually had a definition in the contract of what livery was. We, we knew common usage, we knew how we used it in the industry, but as I think most listening know, if a insurance contract is ambiguous, if there's a term that's not defined, 
then generally the courts define those terms in favor of the policyholder, the consumer. And so we weren't, I didn't hear these kinds of discussions and I didn't hear agencies asking their personal lines clients these questions. Are you driving for Uber or Lyft or for a ride sharing company? So that we can advise you that there may be some insurance gaps and then I know very few agents in my presentations that can explain the Uber insurance program so that they can have a reasonable discussion with their policyholder about what Uber does cover and what they do not cover. And when, because it has to do with the timing, it, right? It has to do with what are called periods, right? right? Period right. one, period two, period three. And those are the things that I try and educate the staff on so they can adequately explain, he, he, okay, here are the implications. Uh, Uber's policy basically has a million dollar liability. We, can get, we don't need to get in details, but for period two and three, the real question is one, the app is on, but they haven't accepted a ride yet. And the, the Uber policy drops down to 5,125. So there's potentially a gap. Now is the insurance company gonna deny a claim and write all of those kinds of things. Sure. So Uber, Airbnb, and and the interesting one actually right now for me is um, a category of platform. Uh, the best example is um, Turo, uh, T-U-R-O. Turo is a platform that allows me to fly to Austin and rent a car from an individual, not from Hertz, Avis, or Enterprise. Pick it up at the airport, pay a per day rate, turn it back in when I go back to the airport, and I probably will save about 35 to 40% on the cost of a rental from a Hertz, wow. for example. Now, here's the insurance question. You are giving me permission to use your car. Is that permissive use? Meaning, the, in, the personal auto policy allows me to let your neighbor use your truck to go to the dump. That's covered. Is Turo covered or is there an exclusion or a limitation because now I'm being paid? So business use. The problem is business use is often a rating factor, not a coverage exclusion or wording actually in the contract. So those are just fun examples of, okay, now we've had tech doing this stuff and now we have insurance policies that haven't never contemplated these kinds of things. And, that, and then we can add driverless cars, 3D printing. Um, I mean, all kinds of technology, robotics, um, uh, uh, wearable, so uh, exoskeletons that a uh, manufacturing employee might be wearing to prevent workers' compensation uh, losses from bad back, bad lifting, those kinds of things. What happens if that malfunctions? So positive, reducing losses. Negative, are there any liability implications there? 3D printing, kind of standard product liability but actually you start adding in um, the uh, architect's engineer design of the 3D graphic model 
what if there's an error in that that causes the part to break that causes injury, right? And so almost no general liability policy contemplates professional liability that you've now added in. So again, it's that's what we do as an industry is look at these things and go, okay, how can we, what do we have to do? Um, but we have to understand the questions to ask. Sure. And, uh, you know, I believe the, the key factor here from an E&O perspective is you need to be asking your clients, either prospects or current clients, what do we, what are you doing now in these areas? Help us understand. Uh, because, uh, you know, drones, I mean, I again, I have a, a whole long list of things that we could talk about in terms of the coverage issue. So that's that's external. That's just client facing. That's agency E&O. That's how do you provide proper coverage to your clients? So that was a long answer. I know you you, you need to interrupt me when I get on a, on a roll like that. But um, how about internal? So internal, uh, really some interesting stuff going on there. And, um, and actually, you mentioned a couple of the uh, articles on my website because I'm I, we're we are starting to see some really interesting technology that we've been talking about actually come into products and services. So, and they're, they're what I call signals. They're, they're little things that catch my attention that will, I think, become bigger things. So uh, let me talk about the Excel, um, take, uh, extract data from picture. So this is a new function that's in a, a mobile version, uh, iOS or Android for the Microsoft Excel. And if I, and here's how I think about it. If I'm in a prospect and I am looking at their current policy, I may be able to have a, a sheet or a couple of sheets of uh, vehicle schedule. Well, normally I would take a picture, make a photocopy, somehow get that data, bring it back to the office, have somebody type it all in. Again, every time you type, you have the opportunity for errors. What if I could take a picture of that document and have Excel through machine learning capabilities, extract that data, convert it to text and actually put it into uh, appropriate cells. Now I have an Excel document that I take back to the office and assuming my management system has this capability, I can upload that into my vehicle schedule without ever rekeying. I'll have to do visual check, make sure VIN numbers got you know, converted accurately, but I won't have to sit there and type it all in. I can do visual checks and huge time savings from a technology called machine learning that is matches the patterns of letters. We've in the past, we talked about optical character recognition, same kind of idea, just taken to a new level now. So that was what was really intriguing with me about that particular enhancement is we're seeing machine learning, chatbots, access to information that's customized. Those are the things internally that I think are quickly going to be implemented within agencies, at least that catch the vision and see the benefit of those. What was the name of that app you were, you were talking so about? So it is an enhancement to Microsoft Excel okay. or mobile. So iOS and Android. So basically if you have Microsoft Office, a subscription, you have access to the full 
mobile versions of those applications. And literally there's a, a menu item, touch it, your camera comes up, you take a picture of the document and it just converts it into a Excel spreadsheet. And do you explain that on your blog? I do. Okay, perfect. So you've been a student of the industry agency management systems for years. Uh, what do you see on the horizon with some of these most popular systems? What technologies are they investing in? Where do you see the agency management systems tools? How are they evolving over the next five years or so? And I'm really fascinated with the, the concept of the agency management system, the Internet of Things, and artificial intelligence. Will those two things play a role in the future? Yes. Um, and, and I guess the comment I would make is they're already playing a role. So let me, so we could talk about, I mean, I, I actually track now somewhere around 25 agency management system platforms. Uh, Vertifor and Applied represent a large percentage of right. the platforms that agencies use. So I'm going to talk about those two in terms of what I see they're doing, either things I know or things I suspect of where they're going. And I'll try and be clear on what's real and what's my opinion. Okay. Um, I'll start with applied systems. Um, last year, uh, last, I can't remember when, at their user conference last year, uh, a little over a year ago now, um, they announced a investment by Google's venture capital firm called Capital G of at least nine figures. So you, I never was able to actually get a number when I don't know that anybody has, but a significant investment into applied. Um, and when um, Reed French talked about that, he was always focused on, yeah, the money's nice. Okay, don't, you know, don't get me wrong, but focused much more on access to Google engineers and technology as the real benefit of that closer cooperation. I was invited by P Applied uh, just a, two months ago now, I guess, to go to San Francisco as their guest to the Google Next conference, which is kind of Google's annual 25,000 people come and here's what we're doing type of thing. Uh, one of those nights we had dinner with the Google team that is assigned to applied systems. So I tell you all of that background to say there's some pretty significant work being done right now, specifically focused on the machine learning capabilities um, using Google's platform. Now, I do want to mention you use the word artificial intelligence. Um, and, and my opinion is that we don't have artificial intelligence yet. In fact, I'm not sure we'll have it for a while but we absolutely do have machine learning. And, and the way I distinguish that is machine learning is pattern matching. It is taking an image like a picture of a document and being able to extract information off of that document by matching patterns. And so again, it gets a bit technical that we don't need to get into, but one of the first things they did, Applied did is send engineers on their Epic platform uh, to a Google two-day boot camp about machine learning. And so I do know, I don't know what the 
results will be yet, but I do know there's lots of work going on at Applied right now, specifically with their Epic platform, around looking at how machine learning could enhance the agency's ability to better understand their clients, uh, generate opportunities more automatically based on, you know, we've always done have, you know, I have a home but no auto, that cross-selling stuff, but it's been cumbersome streamlining the process of identifying opportunities within the database. So some of that's data analytics, some of that's machine learning, but I think we'll see some really interesting things come from that. So I wanna be real clear. My next statement is my opinion of what I think might be possible, not an announcement on Applied's part. One of the things I came away from the Google Next conference was, was taking machine learning to be able to understand a document, meaning not just convert it to text, but actual, actually understand that this is an insuring agreement. These are endorsements that change the policy. This is a definition of a term. So it's not just text, it's actually understanding the structure of a document. When you can marry that with Google's obviously very good search technology, I think agencies might be able, and this is probably a few years yet, but again, start thinking now, might be able to completely change how they store client documents. So right now, a policy, an endorsement, a letter, an email gets attached to the client, probably to a policy as an, a separate attachment. But think about the possibility of just putting that email in a container, electronic container, without having to identify maybe a few pieces, here's the date it happened, here's a big idea of what it was, and frankly, a lot of that can be done with machine learning. And when I go search in two or three years to find that particular email, I do a Google search. And between Google's wow. search technology and machine learning, I not only identify a specific document, but I identify all of the threads of documents, not just emails that are associated with whatever that transaction was. Think of the time savings in an agency. I literally having to type in a description of every single thing they do during the day. That's pretty significant and it's because of search technology and machine learning technology. Not to mention. So let me go to Verfor. Okay, go, <laughs> okay, ahead. go, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say not to mention the ENO uh, implications. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I mean, simple things like attaching the wrong document to the wrong client. I mean, big ENO issue. Can't find what I need. I should be able to find it anywhere. Applied knows that. They're that's part. That's the excitement I get from Applied in terms of what they see coming. Vertifor is also in their own, you know, way doing some of those same things. They announced just recently, a couple of months ago, a deeper uh, agreement with Amazon, and very specifically the Amazon Web Services platform, and using their technology again to enhance the Vertifor product line offering. So Amazon um, certainly, by the way, is, let's watch my terms here, but ahead of Google and Microsoft in their 
cloud platform, lots of reasons for that. But um, between Alexa, uh, between a lot of the machine learning platforms, um, let me, again, let me give you a quick example. Uh, so if you, and I haven't written about this yet, so uh, it's going to be in one of my articles here in a, in a few weeks. But if you go to my website now, every one of my articles at the very top of the page has a button and a, a, a little text that says, listen to this article. And you can actually click the play button and listen to a voice reading the text of my article that I posted on my website. That I am using an Amazon Web Services called Poly, P-O-L-L-Y, and it automatically converts text to voice. And by the way, I can use various voices. I can also convert it to another language and have Polly use Spanish, Vietnamese, I mean, whatever language you might want. That costs me $4 per million characters. And it's, I set it up myself. It's a self-service wow. platform. So lots of implications there, certainly on Amazon and Amazon Web Services. The next step, by the way, is to take that audio and make it available on Alexa. Alexa, play Steve's updates. And then every week, as a new article is published, you can hear it through the Amazon Echo using the Alexa machine learning platform. Well, again, with Vertifor's stronger connection with Amazon, access to engineers and ideas it'll be it's it's actually going to be very exciting to see both applied and vertifor and by the way other vendors are starting to see the possibilities there uh, applied and vertifor are leading right now in that arena it's going to be exciting to see what capabilities can be built into a management system are there any other uh, emerging technologies outside of the agency management system space that you believe an agency owner should be watching? Well, I certainly would point to the application process that uh, we talked about a little bit earlier. Um, that to me is, uh, there, there's some really interesting things there. So a uh, couple um, examples of that. Um, Avist out of A-V-Y-S-T, I believe, .com. Uh, is a platform that is uh, working on streamlining that process and, and actually putting the producer in that process. Uh, Indio, I-N-D-I-O.com, uh, also is doing that, and BrokerBuddha.com. Uh, so those are three platforms outside management system. They are looking at trying to work with management systems to get that data moved back and forth. But our third-party platforms that agencies absolutely should um, should look at. There are platforms around chatbots, um, so kind of online. Uh, you've probably experienced a few of those, but I actually think that's an area where agents can actually increase engagement with clients. But I think more importantly, it can increase engagement with staff because now they can go to the chatbot, put their question in 
about a coverage or something like that. They don't have to read through all kinds of manuals. The chatbot has consumed some of that information and can point them qu more quickly to, um, to the piece of information that they need. So it's frankly a way to capture that knowledge and experience of retiring employees so that new employees coming into the organization have access to that same information. Um, one example of that from a consumer side is a, a couple of agencies now are using a chatbot-like experience to um, go through the annual renewal process. So homeowners right now seems to be the most popular, but literally a link sent to the policyholder, hey, your renewal's coming up, go through our questionnaires, click here, mobile, tablet, desktop, friendly on any platform, and they can very quickly go through a smart renewal form to update information or say, yes, I want a quote on flood, or yes, I want an umbrella, or no, I don't. So streamlining that process, which right now, frankly, is really cumbersome for most agencies. It's interesting um, you mentioned the chat box. Uh, in the next uh, podcast episode that we have on this concept of insurance technology, I'm interviewing Chris Paradiso agency mm -hmm. owner. You know, Chris, I'm sure you know, Chris. I do. Sure. Uh, on his homepage of his website, he has a chat bot where you, ent you, you type in your phone number and he guarantees that a member of his staff will call you back. And he, he says, they'll call you back in 27 seconds. And so right. I tested it. I put my yes. cell phone number in there. Sure enough, a delightful member of his staff called me in back in like 10 seconds. Right. It's fascinating. And, and I think that's, um, that's a great example of, uh, and Chris, you know, Chris is great at testing and trying things and, and figuring it out. And frankly, I, I think Chris could be a, a good example of the mindset that an agency owner needs today, which is, I don't know if this is going to work, but I'm going to test it out. Try it try out. Try it. Yeah. Try it out. Test it. Experiment. Uh, I don't know. It may or may not work, but we won't know until we actually try it. And that's a great example of using technology, website, right, chat, online, to engage with that consumer who may or you know may not want a phone call. I may want a text conversation. So then how are we going to capture and record that and write all kinds of things going on? But we need to be, we need to be willing to experiment. Uh, and I think that's something that's missing within the agent and broker side, certainly. Innovation, whether it's technology or, or simple print innovation, is not a straight line. It's a messy business. It, it demands courage and the being okay with failure and taking a different direction. So what would be your advice, uh, Steve, to an agency owner listening to this podcast who feels like they're a little bit behind the curve with all of this? What's your advice to them? Either yourself or get someone you know to be a secret shopper. Have someone call your agency and see what the experience is. Mm because I think most agency owners have no idea what the experience prospects calling in or clients calling in actually get in their agency. They think we're doing great. So once you start there, then start looking at how can I reduce the friction? How can I get a staff person to 
call me back in 10 seconds. So there's a whole lot that Chris has to do organizationally to make that happen. Think about it. Somebody's got to get the notice. Somebody's got to interrupt what they're doing. And I don't know if it's one person or everybody and they, they move that around, uh, rotate it. But somebody's got to get on the phone and call you back and be ready and willing to, to talk. Th there's infrastructure of some type that has to go on to make that possible. But if you don't know where the problems are, you don't know what to fix. And then be willing to go, I don't know if this is gonna work, but let's test it. Right. Let's give it a day. Let's give it a week. Let's give it 30 days. And then take what you learn and continue to develop. The, and you've meant, you said this with experimentation, but experimentation by its very nature requires failure. If you know it's going to work, it's not an experiment. Right. And, and, and you cannot organizationally punish failure. Now, again, there's a, a balance there. You, you don't do stupid things. But one of the chapters in my new book is called Successful Failure. And I, I, I really delve in. That's why I'm trying to not go into the chapter. But you know, I really delve into, okay, what is required as a mindset? And I use Amazon as my example, but what's required as a mindset to have a, I call it an inventive and innovative mindset because invention is creating something new. Innovation is taking something and making it better. And experimentation leads you to invention and experimentation also lead you to innovation. So before I let you go, Steve, uh, in conclusion, tell us a little bit more about your book, when it's coming out, and why someone listening to this podcast should pick it up. So as you mentioned earlier, the title of the book is called The Bezos Letters, 14 Principles to Grow Your Business Like Amazon. And what I've done is tried to answer the question, how did Amazon grow to where they are today. They were the fastest business to reach $100 billion in sales ever. What was it? And I believe Jeff Bezos gave us his roadmap in his letters to shareholders. First letter he wrote was 1997. They went public in 97. The letter came out in early 98, reflecting on the 97 year. He's written a letter to shareholders every year since, with the last one being 2018. And I did a deep dive into those letters, both individually and as a whole narrative over 21 years. And I have extracted 14 principles out of those. And they're in four areas or what I call four cycles. The cycles are test, build, accelerate, and scale. And I believe any organization, insurance agents and brokers, especially insurance companies, can benefit by understanding what it is that Amazon and specifically Bezos used to grow their business the way they have. I believe those principles apply not only to Amazon, but to any business. Absolutely. So, so the book is uh, will be available wherever your favorite bookstore is, online or physical, on September 17th. Terrific. Well, Steve, thanks again. This was a terrific interview, one of the, my favorite interviews that I've ever done. So uh, thank you very much. 
Mitch, thanks for having me. A great, uh, enjoy talking with you. A great time. That's it for this episode of Nat Alliance Now. Thank you to Steve Anderson, president of the Anderson Network, for sharing such valuable insights. And I wanted to make sure everybody knows that Steve's new book, The Bezos Letters, 14 Principles to Grow Your Business Like Amazon, is available right now on Amazon.com for a pre-order purchase. Tune in next time for part two of our podcast episodes where we talk to Chris Paradiso, an agency owner out of Connecticut, and learn more risk and insurance insights. Thank you for listening to Nat Alliance Now.